0: When I taught sitcom writing for the TV Academy here and everything, I say, always stop at night at the middle of a scene. And then the next day, you'll start where you stop and you just go on with that scene. If you have to start with an empty page every day, yeah, it's a trouble.
1: Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to The Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join The Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about.
2: Hello, and welcome to The Author's Corner. I am your host, Robin Colucci. And, as I prepare to introduce today's guest, I can't help but reflect on some of the more influential TV shows that I grew up watching, and including the Mary Tyler Moore show, the Bob Newhart show, Maud. I'm definitely dating myself here. And probably for some of our younger listeners, you might not recognize these shows, but, They're definitely worth checking out. And as I was contemplating our guest today, I came to realize that these shows not only entertained me, but they had a huge influence on me and how I developed my worldview. And so it is with great pleasure that I introduce to you Susan Silver. Susan was one of the original writers of The Mary Tyler Moore Show and The Bob Newhart Show and Maud and many other sitcoms. She wrote two top 10 movies of the week, feature films and pilots for her own sitcoms. She's appeared on TV talk shows, including The Today Show, and is a frequent uh, radio guest as well. She also has a long-running radio commentary of her own on the NPR affiliate out of Connecticut called Susan Says, which you can find on robinhoodradio.com, as well as iTunes. Susan has been profiled in TV Guide, Esquire, and other publications, and she's written op-ed pieces for the New York Times, as well as articles for Los Angeles Magazine and several others. So one of the things that I think is really interesting that came out of our interview today is getting insight from Susan on what it was like to be a female writer of comedy in the early 1970s. And also, she's got some terrific insights on just how to be a productive writer in any genre. So, without further delay, let's talk with Susan. So, Susan, welcome to The Author's Corner. Thank you. Thank you. I've got to tell you, when I was reading your bio and I was reading all the shows that you worked on, Mary Tyler Moore and Bob Newhart, and there's a few others, which I should have right in front of me, but I don't because I'm silly. Maud, partners Family. Maud, yes, Maud. (laughs) And then that you even began on Laugh-In. And I'm like, this is hysterical because these are like, I lived on these shows as a kid growing up and they all had such an influence on me in so many ways I used to do a great imitation of Lily Tomlin, you know, Aww. I can imagine being five and imitating Lily Tomlin doing oh. her, her uh, little girl and her operator. <laughs> I'm really dingy, yes, exactly. <laughs> and watching Mary Tyler Moore. And oddly, my first career was in journalism before I got into publishing. And I still love, you know, Bob Newhart. Every time I just see him, I start chuckling. Nicest guy in the world. I can imagine. And to realize that now I have you as a guest on my show who was actually a writer creating these amazing- In the crib.
0: Yeah, I say between 50 and deaf. So I was literally in the crib learning how to write
2: with a gummy pencil and I did it. Incredible. Incredible. So I read a little bit in a Forbes article about your start, but tell our listeners how you even broke into this. Because really for you to be a writer, and I think probably in particular in comedy- during this particular time in history, which was like early 1970s, would probably have been an unusual thing being a woman. Yeah, well, I do write about it. My book is called Hot Pants in Hollywood, Sex, Secrets,
0: and Sitcoms. It's not about my behavior. It's about my wardrobe. I like to make that clear to people. We actually wore hot pants back in the day, but (laughs) I grew up like Mary. I was Milwaukee. She was uh, Minneapolis. I went to Northwestern for two years in journalism, but I wanted to be in showbiz. And because I was an only child, I was only allowed to go to Illinois from Milwaukee. But I escaped and I went to California and I was in theater arts. And then when I graduated, my graduate teacher was Francis Ford Coppola, my oh, graduate movie script. <laughs> and I won an award from the Writers Guild. I was the youngest one, and I met some real writers, and I wanted to get a job writing, and they all said, well, first of all, you're a woman, you can't, number one, and number two, you need typing and shorthand. What? Yeah, back in the day, you could only get in as a secretary. So I took speed writing, and because I couldn't figure it out, my first job was at a small television station like Mary, and my boss was an older guy who forgot what he dictated to me, so I made up the letters because I couldn't read my speed writing. Then I went into casting at an ad agency, and then I saw an ad for a TV show called Rowan and Martin's Laugh, and I applied, and I got the job as the assistant to the casting director, another older guy, and he died. I had nothing to do with it, (laughs) but I got his job. Wow. uh, Yeah. These old guys, they were just dying like crazy in front of me. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, at the time I was engaged and I ran to an old boyfriend who said he is dating a girl who wants to be a writer also. And she was being managed by Gary Marshall, the great late yes. great yeah. days of odd couple. And her name was Iris Rainer Dart, who went on to write Beaches, but went into my office and wrote little sketches yeah. and wanted to write for laughing, And they said, no, you can't because you're a girl. An article in the New York Times came out a couple of years ago called Because I Was a Girl about people who were rejected. And I said, my boss said to me, the writers are in an apartment and they're wearing their underwear and they want to fart. So yeah. you can't be there because you're a your girl. So I said, well, <laughs> they can fart. No, no. So when I told it to the New York Times, I said, you probably want to say pass gas. They said, no. So oh. I made the New York Times say fart. I'm very proud of <laughs> <guy>. <laughs> Anyway, at that time, Gary ran this group for young writers and Iris took a break to have a baby. We wrote a Love American Style together. And then she oh, took my God. I watched yeah. that, too. <laughs> yeah, we did one of those together. And then she took a break to have the baby. And I saw this show called Mary Tyler Moore. It came on midseason. I said, Gary, I got to get in there. I can do it. He said, how do you know? You've never written alone. I said, I can do it. And he said, well, I'll back you. And he got me an interview. And they said, if we get picked up for the remainder of our season, you'll be the first person we hire. So starting on top, I say it was downhill for the next 20 years. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, did you write for the Mary Tyler Moore show for a while or what was the- I did. I did five shows. And
0: because it was such an extraordinary place to work and such a great credit, I had a lot of publicity. And because of that, I got an article in the TV guide, which said the writer wore hot pants and there was a picture of me and that got me more jobs and by my second year, I was doing pilots and movies of the week, and I wasn't doing any more episodes. But I did five Marys and two New Hearts for them. Oh, wow! And they offered me the wonderful and I was married. Wonderful job of producing Bob Newhart. Mm. Which was very exciting. And I took the job, and that night I dreamt I was like Lucy on the auto factory. Right with the chocolate. Yeah, (laughs) they were coming too fast, and that I couldn't handle it. So I called in the morning. I said, I don't want a staff job. You have to work till 10 at night. I'm married. I want to be a freelancer. So I didn't take a staff job ever, which was, it was a choice I made because my life was always more important, but it definitely hampered my career. But mm-hmm. as I said, I wrote for 20 years. And then in 1989, we had a Writers Guild strike and I went to New York and I retired. There you go.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I did a whole other life. So. I was
2: going to say, so, so tell us about part two. <laughs> well, in the book,
0: I tell a lot of showbiz stories and a lot of naughty things, but The true point of the book are the three new R's, I say, instead of reading, writing, arithmetic, it's resilience, which I never knew I had till I wrote the book. I almost died a couple of times. I took care of my parents, blah, blah, blah. Next thing that's very important is reinvention. So every 20 years, I think we have to reinvent ourselves. And the third is relationships. So I reinvented myself. I took the year off, moved to New York, met with 60 people. And I realized I wanted to work with Holocaust organizations, because my dad back in Milwaukee had been a very active person protesting the rise of neo-Nazis. We had a lot of German mm-hmm. bund in Milwaukee during the war. So it was something in the back of my head. And I went to run the Speakers Bureau for the Anti-Defamation League for two years mm. with fights anti-Semitism. Then I was the UN observer for the Simon Wiesenthal Center. Oh, great. So Gary, always being funny, my dear friend who passed, he said, in showbiz, you're a hyphenate. You're a writer. Slash waiter, a writer. <laughs> slash actor, and he said, I was a sitcom writer slash Nazi hunter. <laughs> it is kind of unique.
2: I think they could make a movie on that.
0: <laughs> now I'm very involved with the friends of the Israel Defense Force. I have three Israeli soldiers that I send to college because I don't have kids relationships. They're my family. They're all married now working with children. So that's the third
2: R. Wow, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Wow. So one of the things you talk about is really is courage. And I think that every author <laughs> has to confront the fears that show up around every step of the way, really anytime you even contemplate writing a book all the way to the time that the book is released and you're waiting to see how it lands <laughs> and so there's always all these points where we have to find our own courage. So what can you tell us about courage? Because I know you probably have a lot to say about courage.
0: You know, it's so funny. I never thought of it that way. I say resilience in that I was the scaredy kid. I was an only child. I wasn't allowed to cross the street till I was 12. Every time I had a broken hangnail, I thought it was surgery, you know. And when I wrote my book, my parents both had passed on because I couldn't tell a lot of the stuff. But I wrote the book when you're writing the book, you don't think anyone's going to read it. So you're just going as it is. And it's easy. I didn't have a problem. And I had a fabulous editor. I had Mitch Albums editor, Leslie Wells. And only later when I looked at it, and other people looked at it, did I realize that I was resilient. So maybe that's what you mean by courage. I was this fearful kid. And yet I managed to just do whatever I thought needed to be done. And Wasn't allowed to cross the street and was wandering around in China by myself. I mean, I don't know how it
2: happened. But you look back and you go, oh, my gosh. And I mean, even even really like applying for those early positions, and it was really unusual for a woman to even be considered. French word chutzpah. Ah, yes. (laughs)
0: female balls or whatever they're called. I don't know. I wasn't ever afraid. And I had a wonderful, incredibly supportive father. My mother and I had our issues. My mother was Maude, which is why I could write her. But my dad, I guess he made me think I could do anything. And I never doubted. And then you have wonderful, supportive people along the way. You know, I had Gary, I had Francis Coppola, I had Mary Tyler Moore people were unbelievable. I mean, there was no other show that treated you that way, that included Mm -hmm. you, that had you come to the reading and that didn't rewrite you without telling you. And I mean, it was the best experience. And so I do think if I'd started on another show and I had had some problems, maybe I couldn't have made it. But because I started on top, it seemed easy. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. Just a question flashed into my mind as you were sharing, because you and the character, Mary, had some things in common as far as your background. Did you ever find any autobiographical kind of inspiration in your writing Mary's story?
0: Yeah. I do want to say one thing, though, to tell your audience. I had an agent for my book, and we couldn't sell it anywhere. They said they wanted more sex, or they Mm. wanted me to rewrite this, or they didn't like that. And friends of mine who had self-published said, It's not bad anymore. Do it because you can do what you want and you can open your book, as I do, with a chapter called Vibrator Girl and nobody's going to tell you you can't. (laughs) I did have hardship in that regard, but it turned out much better the way I did it. And I got to do the fabulous cover, Joey Heiberg, that I wanted and no one told me what to do. And they said, if you go to a publisher for two years and then that editor dies or moves on, you have to start over again. So it it was discouraging, but I proceeded. As far uh-huh. as Mary, yeah, I didn't know in the beginning that you were allowed to make up stories. I thought you had to come in from stories with your own life. So all the Marys I did were for my own life. Oh, wow. <laughs> my first one was uh, something any woman and every girl knows this. You have to stand up for a wedding for someone you don't love and you have to wear an ugly dress. Right, that right. Was my first show. And They thought I was a genius, but they were men. They had never
2: gone.
0: (laughs) My next one was how Rhoda loses her job. And there's a job at the office that Murray says, geez, be good for her. And Mary doesn't want her to have it because as much as we love our best friend, we may not want to share our nest. And Lou says, boy, you're rotten, just like all the rest of us. Of course, she wasn't. She couldn't do it. She told her immediately, you know, but (laughs) (laughs) what else? Oh, yeah, I'd gone out. With a teacher at Northwestern, and had a crush on him, and all kinds of weird things happened. So I had Mary take a class with Michael Tolan and she dated him, and he gave her a B. Here she had gone out. All right, all right, I'll raise it to a B plus. You know that.
2: Right, right. uh, Yeah, most of the things are my own life. That's so cool. (laughs) Now I have to go back and watch, rewatch every one of those. I know. I feel like it's very rare that I go into fangirl mode, but you put me oh, right.
0: And Bob Newhart, I wrote about something that happened with my husband and me. We were living in the same apartment building when we met. And I went in one day to see him and some girl was sitting, he had hurt his leg, was sitting on the bed. So who the hell is it? Some old girlfriend showed up. So I wrote that about for Bob Newhart and his wife. You know, I oh, mean,
2: right. It, Perfect. For, for
0: the Partridge family, because I wore hot pants, I put Shirley Jones in hot pants for the act. And that was like, wow. Yeah. Everything I'm, like, so, I'm so glad Reagan you said
2: that. the Partridge family because I forgot to mention that earlier. But of course, that was a big staple for me as well as a kid. And Maude, as I said, was my mother. So when I went to therapy, my mother said,
0: Are you going to blame it all on the mother? I said, Of course I am. So when I did my <laughs> Maude, it was about.
2: Carol going to therapy and Maude says, are you going to blame it all the mother? And she says, yes, of course I am. Yeah. Wow. Brilliant. And I think it's so great when you can get inspiration from your real life because it makes the characters more real and relatable. Yeah, absolutely. Now I'm questioning if the fact that my hobby is I'm a lead singer in a rock band, I'm now wondering if I can also thank you for that.
0: <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I can't
2: sing. Oh my gosh. That's one but of the things I've always wanted. To...
0: Oh, the bright sun. I've always wanted to be able to sing. I oh, that's so cool. That and the streak in your hair are very cool. I thank went you. silver as is my name during the pandemic and it's the greatest oh, yeah. thing ever. I had those 2 years I didn't leave the house but 20 times I was really isolated. Yeah. And it saves me like four grand a year
2: now, so I can take vacations. There you go. I know. Well, this street grew in all by itself, just like this. During the pandemic? No, just several years ago. So cool. <laughs> I color around it now. There's the big reveal for this episode. But I just get such a kick out of it that I don't know. I'm planning. I love it. it. I think it's cool. I get a lot of compliments. So I yeah. bet. And you stand out, which is very important. It makes me memorable for sure. I-
0: Yeah. (laughs) Like when I came to New York with my California wardrobe, I had Mm. yellow and orange and things like that. And this friend of mine said, oh, no, no, no. We have to go shopping. You have to wear all black in New York. Yes. I said, why would I wear all black? Everybody (laughs) else is wearing all black. I want to come in a room and be noticed.
2: Why would I want to look like everybody else? Uh Uh-huh. There you go. You got a pop. So did you ever have a time where you had to write an episode or something on deadline and you just Couldn't think of anything, (laughs) or you had that block, or were you just always kind of in the zone? No,
0: I was very lucky. I was a very fast writer. Other Mm -hmm. writers and really good ones, they'll go over the first line and then they'll work on it. I could never do that because that stops me. I just Mm -hmm. put down everything. And then if I get to a part where I don't know, I say, Rhoda says something funny, and then I move on and then I go back. Mm -hmm. And I was very fast. Other people were very slow and good and brilliant, but I couldn't work that way because I would never get past the first line. I just sort of vomited <laughs> it
2: out and good yeah. it afterward. I think that's really the best way to write because it's so hard to know what the first line needs to be until you know what where it's going. <laughs> well, when I teach or when I taught sitcom writing I for the TV Academy here and everything, I say,
0: always stop at night at the middle of a scene And then the next day you'll start where you
2: stopped and you just go on with that scene. If you have to start with an empty page every day, it's trouble. Oh, that's great advice. You said when you taught, now since stop teaching or?
0: Yeah, we did a great program with the TV Academy for many years where we taught sitcom to adult writers, did it for eight or nine summers. It was fabulous. And then I lectured a lot. Yeah, I stopped that. And as I said, I didn't leave the house for two years. So the first time I left was last week. I went to our Renaissance weekend. Oh. It was so fabulous to be with real people and actually not have to wear your mask after the first day. Right. And it was kind of overwhelming in a way, a lot of vibes. And I haven't been with anybody for human being touch for so long, yeah. but it was very good to do. I do have a radio commentary on NPR Called Susan Says on Robin Hood Radio, WHDD, and it's on the internet. I used to do it three times a week, then I got lazy. I do it once a week. Uh-huh. I do it on culture, media, politics, and things that piss me off, which oh. is called Oh Come On. <laughs> and it's always about the same thing, but I won't say what it is because it's political.
2: Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> <I> got it. <laughs> Against somebody orange and fat. Let's move on. Yeah,
2: I think I could infer that already. (laughs) So fabulous. So are you planning on being out and about more now? Or was that a... I hope so. It was a lot of energy and I had to kind of decompress afterward. But
0: life is so different now. I don't quite know what life will bring. And yeah, of course, this horrible war, which I'm fixated watching, I've been there. Of course, my family originally was from that area. And I'm so sad for those people and the Russian people who are such sad people who have had lived through so many traumas. When I went there the year after Chernobyl, we brought to the dissident Jewish community, we brought pens and lipsticks and things like that. It was so sad. And yeah, we're living in very sad, awful times. I'm a believer in astrology. I read my horoscope every day to make sure I don't do something wrong. Okay. And something's going on in the world. I don't know what it is, but everything bad is happening to everything, yeah. to everybody. And right. so there's Thank a God for comedy, though. That's the only thing. Thank that- God for comedy. Yes. Seriously. Tell people like, really, what to do is watch a lot of comedies. And if you're not funny, find other people who are because... Comedy got me through, you know, as I said, I almost died twice and a lot of stuff. And yeah, and in the book, I write what 10 things not to do when you're in the hospital to get people through that. And the 10th one, may I tell you the 10th one? Please, I can't wait. A little naughty. The 10th one is never, ever let a male attendant give you a rectal thermometer.
2: Okay.
0: (laughs) Just a note you might make to yourself.
2: Right. (laughs) Well, I'm grateful to say that has not yet come up in my life, but I will definitely Now now you know. And I guess I should tell my children just to make sure in case I'm unconscious. (laughs) I had a friend, a dear friend who's passed. She was a lot older. She was 92. And she said, whenever
0: she goes to the hospital, she writes on her stomach, do not resuscitate. So
2: I said, you know, they make mistakes sometimes. It's a good idea. Yeah. So what might we see from you in the future, Susan? Do you think you'll ever write another book?
0: I can't write another book because I cannot lead another life. It was so mm. exhausting, my life. So wonderful and interesting and fun, but exhausting. Um, I did have a dating column called The Search for Mr. Adequate on the New York Oh, State yes. I, I love rate. that title. I love that title. Yes. Because there's no prince. There's no perfect. After 35 and after 50, between 50 and death, there's really no perfect. So you find someone who's more than adequate and you kind of turn him into the one. I don't know. I would like to start speaking on the three R's because I think it's important, but I'm just kind of lazy and we'll see. And I'm waiting to, for someone to knock on my door and ask me to marry them. And so I don't know if that's going to oh, happen. Yeah. I call that
2: the Santa approach. <laughs> oh, really? I keep waiting for someone to like Maybe he'll just door. hang out by the fireplace and maybe he'll just come down the chimney. Boy, that's about it. <laughs> And particularly with a mask, it's maybe now it'll be easier. Yeah, maybe you don't want a guy coming down the chimney with a mask on. <laughs> or maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, oh my goodness. So because I was thinking as you were talking, I was thinking, gosh, I wish she'd write a book on how to write a sitcom. Well, in my book,
0: Hot Pants in Hollywood, there is a chapter mm-hmm. and there are writing tips. And I tell you, it's so different now is when I started out, even though I went to the greatest film of journalism school, Northwestern, the greatest film school at the time, UCLA, now it's probably USC. We didn't learn anything that helped us in professional life. We didn't, I had never seen a script even until I wrote mine for Francis. But nowadays in film schools, and there's all these apps and all these things, you know, they really can teach you. But the best way to write a sitcom is watch one that you really, really like uh-huh. and Write one of your own, but don't send it to that show because right. they know their own show better than anybody. Send it to another show to show that you can copy well. Right. Writing right. is copying. Right. Come writing is listening. It's really radio. It's listening and making sure that Rhoda sounds different than Mary, that Ed
2: sounds different than Murray. So yeah. It's really yeah. having a good ear. Yeah, and it's so. I mean, there's the dialogue is so vital to and work for good shows only. I only work for really good shows. Well, man, you really did. And it just shows what great taste I had, even as a young girl.
0: (laughs) Yes, you were a child. Keep saying
2: that when I. I'm sorry. It just. (laughs) (laughs) But really, it's just like wrote my whole lineup. (laughs) Good. We know where you were on a Saturday night. Home. Exactly. Totally.
0: When I was lecturing, when I was going around and talking about my book on my book tour, some guy came up to me and he said, "You know." when Mary Tyler Moore was on, my mother came in on a Saturday night from Europe and I said, mother, I can't pick you up at the airport. I'm watching Mary Tyler Moore take a cab. I said, oh, she must (laughs) love that.
2: Good. (laughs) Well, see, because that was before you just record it (laughs) or stream it later. (laughs) What do you think of this? Do you ever binge watch on Netflix? I do.
0: I tell you what I watch now during the pandemic, my taste changed totally. I used to watch a lot of things. I watch a lot of true crime murders and things. And I read an article that said people watch those things because we desperately need a finale that's good and that ends and that things end up well mm-hmm. and that bad guys get caught. Everything that's not happening now happens in those. I have binge- I love Succession. It's one of my favorite. Oh, yes.
2: Isn't I love that- Billions. Yeah.
0: What else? I see there's one coming on now. I love Tiger Joe or Joe, whatever his name oh, was.
2: Did you like, see,
0: I didn't watch that one, but oh, I, I, loved I loved it. it. Now there's like a new it. one, but it's on Peacock and I don't get Peacock, but I really yeah. want to see, I loved that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite comedy, dare I ask? Do you now? Have, yeah, now or in the, maybe since stopped writing. I
0: loved, everybody loves Raymond
2: mm-hmm. and I loved Veep.
0: I think Veep is the last one that I really loved. And unfortunately, Great. we lived it in real life. So then it wasn't even funny anymore, but it was funny before. Right. But I can't think of many comedies I watch now. I do watch a lot of news, which is why I'm so depressed.
2: Yes, I, the psyche.
0: I watch these true crime things all the time, Discovery and stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah. I do watch, this just drives my friends crazy, I watch my 600-pound life.
2: I don't oh, know why, but okay. I do. I'm like fascinated with that shit. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I like murder mystery fictional stories. Agatha Christie. That was another, I used to read a lot of Agatha Christie as a kid. So I like the, if you ever saw the Poirot series. On yeah, sure. The PBS, or at least it was probably BBC. But anyway, yeah, that was really good.
0: The sad thing is, or the scary thing is, I used to read two books a week. During the pandemic, I was fairly unable to read and concentrate. Yeah. I just don't know why. I don't know if anybody else is having that problem. I'm having a lot of trouble focusing. I am doing, however, needlepoint Calm my nerves. I've done five needlepoint pillows, which have saved my life but given me carpal tunnel syndrome, so I can't (laughs) win. But I love doing that, it's so
2: relaxing, it's like mind numbing. Yeah, yeah. something that you can just chill out. So, are they pictures or words that your needle they're flowers, they're animals, they're (laughs) soothing, they're fun things. Of course, everybody else should read, everybody else should read, everyone else should read. And Hot yeah, but in Hollywood. what's interesting is the pandemic actually book sales skyrocketed during the, during the peak of it. Yeah, it was actually quite, it was very confirming for the publishing industry that people still want their books. Good. And the publishing industry had a nice boost. That's good. Pandemic. Yeah. So that is one good thing that came from it. So, Susan, what question have I not asked you? I should have, or you wish I did? Well, depends
0: on what people are interested in. I mean, when I was at Laugh-In, Rona Marnes Laugh-In, I met everybody because everybody wanted to be on that show. Young people Google it. Tiny Tim to Richard Nixon. Tiny Tim was not the guy from the Dickens thing. He was like this weird, strange guy who like, scared me when he came into the office. I screamed and I ran into my boss's office. I said, there's a warlock <laughs> out there. He said, no, 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 that's Tiny Tim. But I met everybody. And I wrote about some of them. I met Steve McQueen, who I had met already, as a matter of fact. Jim Garner, Sean Connery, Tom Jones, I mean, everybody. That show was like. And also because I was in casting, I write about this in the book. When I was on my honeymoon in Hawaii, we were on the beach and I saw David Jansen walking down the beach. So I left my poor then husband and ran. After David Jansen to get him to come on laughing. So my husband's, oh, this is what my life is going to be. I'm not intimidated to run up to anybody because I did casting for so many years. I have three talents. I spot stars where nobody else can. Mm. I can just spot them anywhere. I know how to pack perfectly. Never take too much or too little. It's a good skill.
2: That's a huge skill. Yeah.
0: Huge. And I know where to stand in a room where somebody important is going to come in. I don't know why, but I met Fergie. I mean, you stand at a certain place in the door. I met King Juan
2: Carlos. I mean, you just stand in a certain- Okay. A certain spot in the room. And it's like they can't miss you. That's right. Or you can't miss them. That's right. I love that. That's brilliant. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, right. (laughs) A talent everybody can use all the time, <laughs> but I can't swim, so that there you go. Oh my goodness! And you were in Hawaii on your honeymoon.
0: <laughs> I've been on yachts and ships and cruises, and I'm always scared to death. I'm always
2: wearing right. a life jacket. It's so <laughs> humiliating. Well, I think the best creatives always have some quirks. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Susan, this has been such a delight for me. And like I said, major props. Thank you you for helping supply my formative years with so much education, (laughs) inspiration, and entertainment, really. As I reflect back, I'm kind of astounded at how inspired I actually was by all of these shows and that you were part of that so thank Thank you you. for that and thank you for being on the author's corner thank you so much
1: thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of the author's corner you're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years to access today's show notes and other helpful resources simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com a positive review would be appreciated until next time